My name is Brian, and I'm the lead pastor at Grand Valley Church. We hope that this message helps you explore faith and connect with Jesus. So today we are launching into a brand new series called Talking Points, the perfect blend of politics and religion. And these are topics that you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. Now, as a church, we don't stray from talking about religion and spirituality and what it means to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus because that's what we're all about. But usually on Sundays, I stay away from the topic of politics. But this Sunday and for the next two Sundays, we're going to dive in because when a topic intersects with the teachings of Jesus then we have a responsibility to talk about it. And Jesus didn't specifically talk about politics in 2020, but he does talk about the way that politics divides us. And that's one of the things that we're going to focus on today. But before we dive into this series, I just want to start by saying that this message series is based on a series of messages that was originally taught by Andy Stanley of North Point Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And Andy gave us permission to kind of take this series that he did last year and import it and kind of translate it for us north of the border up here in Canada. And so a big thank you goes to Andy for kind of doing the groundwork and uh, letting me have a peek at his notes as we dive into this topic. Now, just as a bit of a disclaimer right off the top, as we talk about politics, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you which party to support. And I'm not going to tell you who I have ever voted for. In fact, I'm going to talk more about how politics affects us. Because whether we like it or not, politics does affect us. And that's what we're going to dive into and talk about today. And one of the things, and one of the reasons why I'm not going to tell you who to vote for is because I believe that diversity in political beliefs is good because it shows how the church draws people together from all backgrounds, including all ranges of the political spectrum. But when it comes to politics, sometimes division slides in and sneaks into the church because nothing divides like politics, because nothing divides like fear. And recently, all the rhetoric around politics is becoming increasingly fear-driven. And why do we worry? What exactly do we have to fear when it comes to politics? And what most political parties, and I think all political parties, tell you in some way, shape, or form is they tell you that you should fear loss. You should fear loss of control. You should fear loss of wealth, loss of opportunity. You should fear what's going to, what you're going to lose if the other parties get into power. That's what all the political parties will say in some shape or way or form as they're trying to get your vote. But this year, 2020, Everyone has lost something. Some of us have lost more than others. But as we're in this moment, each side of the political spectrum, no matter where it is, is trying to tell us that you have more to fear if someone else gets in power than us. That's what they're all trying to do. And right now, you know, we don't have an election coming up at this moment in time. You know, it could be at any point. But I want to encourage you to look for that. How are political parties trying to tell you what to fear because fear can raise a lot of money. Fear can get a lot of votes whipped up. Fear can drive our decisions. But fear is a very poor driver of our decisions. In fact, I think that we should strive to prevent fear from driving us. And so instead, we have an opportunity as the church to to demonstrate something to our world that our world is starting to lose or maybe is forgotten about. 
And that is how we can disagree politically and love unconditionally. In fact, that should be our goal as followers of Jesus, to be able to disagree politically. And I don't mean just tolerate one another. I don't mean, you know, just kind of nod your head, say yeah, and then roll your eyes as you walk away. And you might be thinking, well, I can't do that. Like, did you see what what that person posted? Did you see what that party's going to do when they get into power? Did you, you know, know what they're going to do if they don't win or if they do win? But let's set that aside for a second. As followers of Jesus, can we disagree politically and still love unconditionally? In fact, I want to drive this question maybe one, one step further and ask us, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? Now, what I'm saying about that is, are we actually willing to let our faith be what maybe causes a gap or space between us and our chosen political party and our chosen political leaders? Are we willing to accept that there is a gap there and that gap may be larger than we think it is? No matter which party it is that you support or have put your vote behind in the past. Because this is a question for all political preferences. Are we able to evaluate it through the filter of following Jesus? Or have we sometimes created a version of our faith where we say, well, Jesus must have been right-wing, Jesus must have been left-wing, Jesus must have been a centrist, Jesus must have been something. We could tell ourselves that, but are we actually willing to evaluate that? And is there a gap between us and what we think Jesus would do? Now, Jesus saw this coming, not exactly the politics of this year, like I said, but Jesus saw the division that it can create. And if we go to the last evening that Jesus had with his disciples, we're going to be in John 17. John was one of the authors of the four Gospels. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He saw all this firsthand with his own eyes. He traveled with Jesus. And John writes about the last evening that Jesus has with his disciples. And they get together, they have this meal, and Jesus starts changing the covenant Passover meal. He inaugurates a new covenant and the disciples are scratching their heads. They're not really understanding what's going on. Later, they're going to figure it out. But in the moment, they don't understand what Jesus is doing. And after they have this dinner, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, this hillside that overlooks Jerusalem, and he begins to pray. And John records what Jesus prayed. And we're going to be looking at this prayer for a little bit together. John starts recording, he records Jesus' prayer, and Jesus says this, John 17, verse 1. He says, After saying all these things, Jesus looked up at heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. Now hold up just a second. Jesus is about to be executed. He is about to be executed because he caused too many problems for people that were in power. He caused too many problems for the Jewish religious leaders. He caused too many problems for Pilate, who just wanted the whole thing to blow over and go away. But Jesus refers to this death that he's about to have that is designed to be humiliating. And he refers to it as a moment where the hour has come for the Son, for Jesus, to be glorified so he can give that glory to the Father. Jesus is saying already in this prayer, he knows something that we don't. And Jesus goes on a little later in this, in this prayer, and he says, now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. He's saying, I'm coming to the Father, and the they he talks about is his followers. 
He says this, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that, and we're going to pause there for a second. Jesus is praying for protection for his followers. Jesus is praying for them to be protected by the power of God's name. But it's not just a blanket protection. There's these two words at the end. He says, so that. Now, anytime we see so that in Scripture, it means there is a purpose coming. There is a reason for this protection. It's not just blanket protection from everything. It's protection for a purpose. He says, so that they will be united just as we are. Jesus is saying, protect them so they remain united the way the Father and the Son are connected. And just a few verses later, Jesus continues and he clarifies who he's praying for. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus was praying for us. Jesus was praying for us living in 2020 who have heard about Jesus through the legacy of faith that has been passed down from the disciples who saw Jesus firsthand. Jesus is praying for us that we would be protected so that we would be united with one another the way the Father is united with the Son. And he goes on. He repeats this again in his prayer. He's constantly praying for this. He says, I pray that you will all be one just as you and I are one. Now, when Jesus says all of them in the first century, that would have meant Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, Romans. That would have meant men, women, children. That would have meant slaves, freedmen, soldiers, the poor, destitute, everyone. And in fact, this was one of the hallmarks of the early church. It was the way that Everyone gathered in commonality around the church. Now, for the 21st century, what does that mean for today? Well, all be one means that together as the church, we should represent everyone. That means we represent people who are black, people who are brown, people who are indigenous, people of color, people who are white, people who are wealthy, people who are poor, people who live in all sorts of circumstances, people who vote on all places of the political spectrum. Jesus is praying that they would all be one. He's asking the Father to nudge us and guide us towards unity, that we would be together the way the Father and the Son have such a close relationship with each other. Now, you might be looking at and thinking, that is impossible. Now, is that impossible or is that an imperative? Is this something critical to the very nature of the church and who we are as followers of Jesus? If we go on, Jesus says this. He says, and may they be in us so that, there's those two words again, so that, that means there is a purpose, there is a mission, there is a reason behind this unity. He says, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Unity in the church is not just so that everyone is nice and plays along. Unity amongst the body of Christ is so that the world can believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That the world will understand that the church is so radically united together because of who Jesus is. That's one of the things that I love about our church. In fact, that even in a church our size, we have people from all different backgrounds, people of all different political beliefs, people of all different economic classes. That is on purpose because that is how God designed it to be. 
Because when the church is united together, we are able to show the world that Jesus really is who he said he was because it is only by Jesus that we can be gathered together and united this way. And this goes back to something Jesus said earlier in the night when he was gathered with his disciples. In fact, he tells the disciples when they're gathered around the table, he says this, so now I am giving you a new commandment, not a suggestion, not a recommendation, a commandment. This means this is something we have to do. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Why? Because your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is the hallmark of the church. That love for one another is what proves to the world that we follow Jesus. See, this isn't just about us. Again, this is about a purpose. This is about a mission. And in fact, if we go kind of back to Jesus' prayer, the next portion that Jesus prays, he says this. He says, may they, remember that's speaking to all of us, even living here today in 2020, followers of Jesus around the world, no matter what denomination, what church you're part of, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you, the Father, sent Jesus and that you, the Father, love them as much as you love the Son. See, our unity within the church, regardless of our differences in all other areas, our unity demonstrates to the world God's love for humanity. See, when Jesus gave this instruction, this command, and this prayer, he is talking about a unity of purpose. That the church, after the resurrection, launched with one purpose, one purpose to make disciples of all the nations, and one mission, that is to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the path to God, that he has made the way open for everyone to be in a relationship with God. And one command, to love each other as God loves us. Because our love proves that God is who he is. Now, when it comes to politics, your political candidate of choice will win or lose based on a vote on an election day. But the church wins or loses based on our behavior on every single day. When we are living in a loving way, when we are living out our faith by showing love for one another, that is when the church wins. That is when we move forward in our mission and purpose as a community of faith. And not just Grand Valley Church, not just us, not just any other church that's streaming their online services, not just any other church that's gathering in person, not just any church in Canada, even this is the worldwide church. The worldwide church wins or loses based on our behavior. If we live this love, this unity that Christ modeled and wants us to be. And what that means is that we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision that we must not let anything divide us and we must not let anyone divide us. The church is at its very best when we are united in love for one another, regardless of what our differences are from each other. See, when the church is committed to this, the church becomes an incredible force for good. 
And if you look at the last 2,000 years of history, there are eras, there are times, and there are even times in recent history, and there are times even happening today when the church has done awful things and harmed and abused people. And we need to call those out as what they are. We need to call that out as division, as sin, as issues and problems that have to be addressed, that have to be reconciled for, have to be repented of. That is part of the corporate church responsibility that we all bear. But overall, when we are focused on the mission that God gave us, we actually become a force for good in the world. In fact, the teachings of Jesus, when they are taught and lived out in the church, they lay the groundwork for our modern sense of justice, fairness, dignity, and equality. And we still have a long way to go in every one of these. Don't hear me wrong. We still have a lot of distance to go in these areas. We don't have it perfect. But we can choose to pursue that, and we can choose to pursue that together. So when we look at all of this, when we look at Jesus' prayer for us, as we look at what he is commanding us to do in terms of loving one another so that we would be united together as one, why would we allow a political view to create a divide between us and the people around us? Why would we allow a political belief or a political system to divide us from the people around us, the very people that God created, the very people that God loves, the very people that God desires to pursue and to reveal his love to, why would we let ourselves become divided? Because political parties and leaders are only temporary. But we, speaking about followers of Jesus, we follow an eternal king. Let me say that again. Political parties and leaders are only temporary temporary. You look at the big picture. Our political parties in power, the opposition parties, the ones vying for our votes whenever the next election gets called, and the the leaders who are in those parties, they are only temporary. But we follow an eternal king. So what do we do? What can we do as followers of Jesus? And I want to encourage you that this is the starting point, that our starting point is to commit to being undivided. And we start that by praying for oneness. Make us one so that we can influence many. Make us one so that we can influence and reveal God's love to the world. That's our first part to do. Pray for one. And the second one is tough. The second one is difficult. Look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. How can you show love and care to the person that has a bumper sticker that makes your blood boil every time you look at it? Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's every day when you drive home, you see the bumper sticker on the vehicle on on your, your next door neighbor, and that's not my case, just in case any of my neighbors are watching and you're worried. You don't have to worry about that. But maybe when you see that, how can you love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically? Now, maybe that seems impossible to you. But, but you don't see the things they post on Facebook. Maybe you want to say, but Brian, you don't know the things they've said to me. Trust me, I have heard it too. I see the same things when I scroll through Facebook, the things that make me angry, the things that make me want to report it, even though it's not against Facebook's terms. Maybe it feels impossible, but let me tell you about something else that seemed 
ridiculously impossible. 2,000 years ago, an unknown Jewish rabbi who came from a town of no significance, a family that had no reputation, was standing in the middle of a desert in the hot, arid Mediterranean with 12 guys around him, most of whom were teenagers. They were people who had been passed over by other rabbis and said, you're not good enough. But this rabbi called them and said, follow me. And he makes a promise to them. He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus said that. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We are here 2,000 years ago as living proof of that promise that seemed so ridiculously impossible of that promise coming true. See, we have a responsibility to the next generations. We have a responsibility to those who we are in contact with. We have a responsibility to those who are not born yet to leave a legacy of faith that our time here and now in 2020, we are so united as a church that our legacy will continue because Jesus' promise then is still true now. Jesus is still building his church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Nothing will overcome and end the church. Yeah, we're in difficult times. Yeah, this feels like persecution, but it really isn't. Jesus is still working to build his church. And we still have an opportunity to be part of that with him. So here's the bottom line. Here's what you do. Disagree politically. Love unconditionally and pray for unity. Because ultimately, no matter which party wins or loses, no matter what happens, the sun will still rise the next day. And for the church, for followers of Jesus, the win is not that this party won or this party lost. The win is not that this party remained in power or this party took over power or this riding switched its, its MPs or switched who was in power representing us. The win for the church is to be one. The win for the church is to be united as followers of Jesus. So next week, don't miss as we continue our series called Talking Points. We're going to keep diving into this topic together. And so I just pray and hope that this week we would look for opportunities to love unconditionally someone that we disagree with politically. Thank you so much for being here. I know this is not an easy topic for us to talk about. And I just thank you for sticking with us and for being challenged by these. I know this is a series that is challenging me as well as we're diving through this together. So folks, see you online next Sunday. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you know of someone that would benefit from hearing the message you just listened to, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with them? And while you're at it, please consider subscribing to be the first to hear when our podcast is updated. If you want to join in on Sundays, our services are streaming online at 11 a.m. Central. To find out more about our church, go to mygrandvalley.ca and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening. Thank you.